0: Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast, where we aim to excite and inspire you about how technology will shape our profession's future. I'm your host, James Meads, and I worked in corporate procurement for 16 years before starting my own business as a content creator and consultant in the procurement technology space. I'm deeply convinced that procurement must become less technocratic and embrace the entrepreneurial spirit and creativity if we're ever going to shake off our image of being a process-obsessed, box-ticking function. You definitely won't find vanilla content on here, and we're not afraid to tackle some controversial topics and tell it like it really is. So if that's your thing, now let's jump right into this week's episode. Yes, and a very warm welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech podcast. We are the official podcast podcast of procurementsoftware.site where you can search and filter over 400... Procurement technology solutions completely free of charge and in less time than it takes you to boil an egg. You don't get that in any of these expensive enterprise pay to play solutions that are out there on the marketplace. But without any further ado, let's dive into this week's episode. And we're going to be talking a little bit about business spend management for SMEs and the lower end of the mid market. And really how software can help businesses get a leg up in what is a pretty tight job market. Because despite some of the economic challenges that are out there, unemployment has stayed stubbornly low, which means that it's still pretty difficult to find the right talent when it comes to accessing uh, good procurement people. And well, a lot of this you can automate, especially some of the more transactional operations. So we're going to have a talk a little bit about that and also about really just how slow and steady growth can be the recipe for success, despite it often being the non-sexy option uh, towards having uh, a steadily growing and profitable business. So Ryan Belcher, founder and CEO of SpendWise, is my guest today to talk about this. Uh, Ryan, very warm welcome. Great to have you. With me. Yeah, thanks a lot, James. Good to be with you. So, this is actually proof that slow and steady growth is unsexy because we were introduced by a mutual contact. And I've got, I've got to say, uh, I'd never heard of your company, despite the fact that you'd been going for, what is it, over 10 years now. So, Maybe just tell us a little bit about your background and ultimately how you got into this wonderful world of procurement SaaS.
1: Yeah, so basically my background is in accounting. So I started as an auditor for PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, later became a controller uh, for a medical device company, and then have done uh, consulting uh, for mostly medical device companies, but other startups as well helping out with their accounting and finance. And across all of my experience, one of the things that I found super uh, frustrating was the procure-to-pay process. You know, the companies, dozens of companies that I uh, came across as an auditor, as well as my experience as a controller and and as a consultant, uh, each of those experiences, it it was, yeah, a lot of paper and a lot of email and, and just manual processes that were being used uh, for the procure to pay process. And so I felt like there was a, a great opportunity there, uh, for automation, especially among small to mid-sized businesses. And that's, uh, kind of what got us started. And so, yeah, as, as you mentioned, we've been around for a while now and have built a, a system that automates the procure to pay process. And that's what we've been working on over the last uh, many years.
0: So as as you alluded to, I mean, you've been on the market for for quite a while and you've quietly and steadily steadily grown since you founded the company, what do you see as its strengths today when you look back on because when you first launched, you know, the some of the marketing would have been vastly different from what you're playing to today. So so maybe just walk me through how that's changed over the years.
1: Yeah, so uh part of our story is is we've been bootstrapped from the beginning. So Uh, I finance the company uh, myself and, you know, have limited resources. And so it has been a a steady, slow process. And so I think in the beginning, uh, it was a very simple product that we offered. And so, you know, we offered it for free and sort of had a a freemium model uh, that we were focused on at that point, as we were building more and more functionality over time. And so, you know, and, and started with, uh, people i knew as well as some uh yeah just advertising through google we're able to get some customers and then i think you know another part of the story is i i think we've i think sometimes it can be difficult when you take on funding you've got a lot of different priorities obviously you have an obligation to your investors and you know they may want you to go in certain directions we've uh, always been customer focused listening to our customers we those are the people who are uh, paying the bills. And so uh, I think that's helped us uh, build a product that's very customer focused, as well as my background in finance and accounting, I think has helped us, you know, stay close to the problem and build a product that really uh, solves the problem
0: yeah you you speak there around dancing to your customer 's tune rather than an investor 's tune and and I do genuinely i 'm not just saying this i do genuinely think that's a strength and obviously being a self funded business my myself that that sort of speaks to me too because as soon as you bring in other interests then you know, it's it's harder to really maintain control over the direction of, of where you want to go. And, you know, let's be honest, I mean, this now, perhaps it wasn't 10 years ago, but it certainly is now that there are you know, a lot of similar solutions out there that are doing similar stuff, albeit with a slightly different marketing spin, or maybe going down a different industry sector or geography that they're targeting. But when you're actually having those conversations with potential customers, do you find that this is still a pretty greenfield space or, or is it now conversations that you're having about poaching business away from competitors?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I am always surprised by how many businesses out there who are still using paper and email and Excel. And so, well, I think competition has increased. I, I think our biggest competition continues to be uh, paper and Excel. And so those are usually the conversations that we're having is, hey, you know, trying to help people understand what the benefits are of automating this process. And so, yeah, that, you know, I think conti- despite the increase in in competition, that still continues to be the, the biggest challenge is helping them understand, you know, the benefits of automating this process.
0: Yeah, and that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because if you're speaking to the... Director or head of procurement or a CFO at a large enterprise organization, you're, you're kind of preaching to the choir in that they get what the problem is. But the biggest challenge then is usually around, okay, how do we navigate our internal Byzantine bureaucracy to get the funding authorized to be able to go out and buy it? Whereas with, with an SME or an, or an SMB, as you call it in the US, it's almost like you have to educate the customer as the first step, but Actually getting them to commit to the budget is almost the easy part, I would say, right? Because there's, there are just less hoops to jump through. And I guess the sales cycle through the nature of the businesses that you're dealing with and the fact that there is a faster route to the CEO or the economic buyer who holds the budget means that the sales cycle is ultimately somewhat shorter.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's, that's definitely the case. I think maybe there could be some additional work on the back end because I think you know, while the decision making process is a little bit easier, I think they, you know, smaller organizations maybe don't have sort of the processes in place to get everybody on board. So we've seen that from time to time as well, where it's like, okay, we've got, you know, uh, we've made the decision, we want to move forward. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, we've got all these users. How are we going to onboard our users and kind of get them up to speed? And so uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's quite a bit different than what you would see in larger organizations.
0: Yeah, in, in, indeed. And if I if I then sort of move the conversation in a slightly different direction, you know, going back a few years, the business case for implementing procure to pay or source to pay software used to be, well, you know, you can just get rid of some headcount in operational procurement or in accounts payable, but, but now it's almost been turned on its head, hasn't it? And the, the increasing problem, and part of this is a demographic problem, particularly in Western Europe, where we've got more people retiring than we have coming into the workforce, but it's, it's becoming harder to recruit and then ultimately retain good people in what is continuing to be, despite some economic headwinds, a a pretty tight employment market. So if we look at this from the lens that you're you're aiming this at small and medium-sized enterprises, and they typically wouldn't have the ability to pay the salaries to attract the A players, walk me through perhaps how your software can help to address that problem.
1: Yeah. Well, I think first of all, you know, there, yeah, to your point, it it is a a challenging job market and has been for a while now. And so I think, you know, it's probably not the first thing on someone's mind if they say, gee, we've got all these unfilled positions. What do we do? They're probably thinking, well, let's go and, and look for temporary resources or consultants or something like that. They may not think, you know, off the top of their head, think, gee, we could be automating some processes here and maybe we don't need all these positions that we have open now. And so I think it's that's one of the challenges and and opportunities, I think. I I think as well, you know, and maybe it's not as much about going out and recruiting new uh, people, but also maybe lowering the, you know, the turnover rate. So we've had great feedback from our customers who've told us that, you know what, your product is really brought a lot of satisfaction to our employees were getting very frustrated uh, with the processes that we had. And by automating these processes, you know, they're much happier. And so uh, with that, you know, they're going to stick around longer. And also I think, you know, there's reputational value there and there's online reviews and things like that. And so to the extent that your employee base is happy and and you've got tools to help them uh, do their jobs, I think that when you do actually need to bring on additional resources, you do have that extra, yeah, just sort of uh, satisfaction that uh, hopefully would, would, you know, uh, be something that uh, new people would be attracted to.
0: Yeah, and let's talk a little bit then about ROI because you're transparent on your website around your price points, And, you know, I, I know a few solutions that play in a similar space. I think you have you definitely have competitive pricing as sort of an entry-level product that SMEs and maybe the lower end of the mid-market could could see some value from taking. And, you know, if I look at it, and in, obviously I'm looking at it from a position that has some industry expertise in, in this area, but it just seems like only a complete fool would fail to see the ROI of this. So, what do you see as, as objections typically that come from potential customers? Do, do they just not get it? Or, you know, for the, for the price point, it almost seems, you know, I'm, I'm being a bit flippant here, but it's, it's the price of a couple of business class flights per year. If you're assuming that you've only got a few users. So assuming that you get to the point that you're having a sales conversation with them, what objections do people throw back at you?
1: Yeah, I think on the price side, you know, those who've done research, I think understand that we're well positioned in terms of, of the competition. But I think what a lot of times happens is they just see it as additional cost. And and we'll see that sometimes with turnover and our customers as well, where they'll say, Hey, we can't, you know, we we've got budget here and, you know, we're we're cutting back on costs. And so we've decided to, you know, maybe end our end our relationship with, with you guys. And so I think the benefits are sometimes hidden, you know, the time saved and the value of that time and sort of what we were discussing before where, you know, that's one less person who you have to hire or, you know, people are not turning over as quickly, uh, your employees aren't turning over as quickly and, and there's a huge cost, you know, that the time, the value of time, I think is a lot greater than people understand or the value of turnover, and so that's usually what the obstacle is, is is maybe really just seeing it as additional costs and not taking into, the, into account the fact that, you know, you have a lot more uh, savings that come through, you know, less time spent on these processes, happier employees, less turnover, uh, and everything else that comes with it. Yeah, I
0: mean, recruitment is one part of it. And you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the cost of, Recruiting someone and dealing with attrition is kind of invisible. It's not just, it's not just the cost that you have to pay maybe to a recruitment agency or to a headhunter. It's, it's the time that that person is going to be relatively unproductive while they get up to, while they get up to speed with the ability to do their job and learning how a company works. But on top of that, you've also got you know what's the what's the effective hourly rate of a of a category manager or, or even an operational procurement employee and how much of that work could be done by well a by technology or b by low cost labor in a, in an emerging market in some shared service center if it's just you know pushing purchase orders out and confirming orders and and booking goods receipts in the system and i think that's finance leaders and and business executives just don't see that and it just seems to me i don't know it it seems to me the most commercially illiterate way of viewing a business operation and yet people just don't seem to get it yeah it's um it's an interesting one
1: yeah and i was just to add that i it, yeah i think because it's maybe a little bit tough to calculate that that's part of it and i would also uh, point out that you know in addition to time saved uh, we've had a lot of great feedback in terms of, you know, shortening the process. And so by shortening the process, your projects are going to move forward faster. Uh, you're going to be getting a lot more done and, and reaching milestones more quickly. And those, I, I think the value of that is even greater than the time that's being saved, but it's not easy to calculate. And so I think that's why sometimes, uh, business leaders fail to recognize the benefits. So we've, we've looked at how
0: this, at least in theory should be a no brainer based on the price points and the time that it saves and the and the invisible cost that that it also uh, avoids when it comes to employee satisfaction or uh, or speed of getting a transactional process done. I want to now turn to what's becoming really the the elephant in the room. part of this whole discussion nowadays has to then also consider. The increasing dominance of some of these low code and no code platforms which enable non technical folks like myself to be able to go out there and, and build their own their own software or, or their own app and you know at the start of the pandemic, when I first launched the podcast and really got into this whole digital procurement topic in depth and started digging and digging deeper into what 's out there. You know, I would have said three years ago that you were crazy trying to build something in-house. Now, why would you compete against all the VC money that's sloshing around and some of the best entrepreneurial minds and developers out there building all of this, you know, best of breed tech and, and cloud-based apps to solve procurement problems? But I am seeing now to some extent that the worm has turned and simple apps and process automation can be built by virtually anybody that understands how to build a backend database and, you know, sort of make that talk with a user-friendly, nice-looking front-end. So if, so if someone was approaching it from that mindset, what would you say is the incentive for them to still go out and buy an established SaaS product?
1: Yeah, I, I think part of it is, is resource constraints. So, uh, you know, sort of following on what we were discussing before, who, you know, who on the team has time to do that? It might be, you know, a lot easier to do now than it than it was before, but it's still going to require somebody's focus, somebody's time. And, and, you know, I think at least the people I know are, are their teams and themselves are already pretty stretched. I think as well, you know, if you're creating a sort of a, a custom product in-house, even with these tools, you're going to have to, there's going to be some maintenance that's going to have to uh, carry forward on that. There's going to have to be some training. You know, we've got you now us and, and our competitors. You've got help centers. You've got you've got support and things like that. Those are all going to have to be sort of you know somehow uh, th- those needs are going to somehow have to be met internally. And so I think there are a lot of yeah sort of outside of just the development itself other considerations that in my mind make it pretty impractical unless you're a much larger organization and you've got the people. Uh, with the time available to sort of dedicate and, and make it happen
0: yeah and, and and the time and the people to make it happen I think is a is a very valid point because if if you 're an sme you 're unlikely to have that you 're unlikely to have enough it resource and procurement expertise together to be able to go out and build that whereas if you're if you're going up to the next tier, you know, if you 've got a hundred a couple of hundred million in revenue. Talking dollars or euro for anyone that's listening to this internationally, then you know maybe maybe it is a viable option, but you're right at the at the price point in the segment that you're going into, I would say that you're probably safer than someone that's targeting the mid market that maybe be battling against this unless someone wants to go out and just hire someone for a couple of grand and build a very a very simple app to do to do one thing so i mean that's the that's the threat on one hand so on the other hand, you know you're a mature solution. You said when we were when when we had a call prepping this, you have over 300 customers. So I guess it must feel quite reassuring knowing that you're not desperate for another round of funding to keep you afloat while you while you try and go out there and do the hunter gatherer piece.
1: Yeah, it does. It does feel good. You know, we've been able to yeah uh, reach profitability, bootstrapping of the company, and so uh, we definitely. You know, want to be moving faster and getting the word out quicker, and so are open to you know sort of accelerating that process and and bringing on resource to do that. But uh, it does feel good to know that hey, uh, we're not worried about a, a cliff ahead of us. That you know, if we're if we don't get funding, uh, we can't make payroll, or uh, somehow aren't going to be able to meet the needs of our customers. Uh, we're very secure that way, and it feels great. Yeah, indeed. What, what do you think will be
0: the biggest area of growth in procurement tech? If you, if you, if you look into your crystal ball over the next five years, or maybe there's something you're even working on perhaps as, as additional mod- modules or, or byproducts that will, that will complement what, what spend does as a core product. Where, where, where do you think the, the biggest growth is going to be? What's, what's the general sort of directional?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard not to. <laughs> Uh, be thinking a lot about AI right now. You know, obviously it's been in the media a lot and, and you know, uh, there's been, yeah, just, a, you know, more money being poured into it. I do think that there are some uh, great opportunities for AI to be uh, implemented and it already has been, I think, you know, in solutions that are geared towards uh, larger organizations. So yeah, that's something that I think will be, yeah, really interesting and something that we definitely feel like we need to be on top of and. And you know, would like to uh, incorporate more into our product.
0: Do you think something like this could easily be applied and and introduced into emerging markets as well? Just looking at looking at your price point and the fact that you don't have much marginal cost for each customer that you sell it to, having a mature product.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we definitely have been more focused on the U.S. Uh, quite frankly, and and yeah, it's looking at. Uh, other markets out there, I do think that we're at a price point, and and not only that, I think that there's an ease of use and ease of implementation that puts us in a good position to maybe enter markets that others not may not be able to enter so easily. So that's something that definitely interests us, and yeah, you know, uh, we'll have to see as we move forward uh, what makes the most sense. Ryan, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And it's always great to,
0: to discover these, uh, the, these undiscovered gems that have been quietly growing without me knowing about them. So it's, uh, it's, it's great to be in touch and to have you on. If anyone would like to learn a little bit more about what you do or maybe arrange a demo, uh, where's the best place that we can send them?
1: Yeah, so they can go to our website, www.spendwise.com. Or even reach out to me, rbelcher, B-E-L-C-H-E-R, at spendwise.com. And we'd be glad to help them out. It's been, yeah, definitely a pleasure to be on the, on the show here with you.
0: And we will link to all of that in the show notes. Uh, thanks, Ryan, for joining me again. Take care and uh, safe travels. I believe you're in Spain at the moment enjoying the summer.
1: I am. Thanks a lot, James. Really appreciate it. It's been great to be with you.
0: So that is proof, ladies and gentlemen, that you don't have to have millions in funding or a massive marketing budget to be uh, slow and steady if we take the parable of the hare and the tortoise and have profitable growth over a longer period of time and also to have a solid pipeline of customers. Something that really as any size business, regardless of if you're an SME or if you're an established enterprise, you should be really asking that of your potential procurement technology providers. Just a quick one before we sign off. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please do head over and give us a review so as we can meet reach more people who may want to discover us on iOS devices. And as always, if you're looking for the right procurement technology solution for your business, we can help you over at procurementsoftware.site Or if you need more white glove approach, then reach out to me personally and I would be glad to assist you further. Until then, take care. We'll be back again next week with with another episode. But wherever you are in the world, have a great day and bye for now.